Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring the nature of the feminine in depth psychology and yoga philosophy. My guest is Dr. Leanne Whitney, who is the author of Consciousness and Jung and Patanjali. Welcome, Leanne. Thanks, Jeff. Nice to be with you again. It's a pleasure to be with you as well. Thank you for coming to Albuquerque. Absolutely. My pleasure. Mm -hmm. You uh, are a woman. And, and in fact, our viewers have often commented that you're a particularly feminine person. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So you, one would think offhand that you might have more of an intimate knowledge of the feminine principle than I have as a male. Uh, now, that could be true, but it's actually not necessarily true, certainly through the lens of depth psychology, because when we talk about the masculine and the feminine, we're not actually talking about gender. We're talking about frames to look at energy, and sometimes what a male polarity envelope, so to speak, or someone in a, in a male body mm -hmm. could have more feminine energy. So it isn't necessarily, necessarily true. And I would have to say you, you offer the world a lot of feminine energy through your body of work. Well, I hope I do. Yeah. A actually. And many years ago, I interviewed the late June Singer, who wrote a, a Jungian, who wrote a book, uh, about hermaphrodism. And I think the main point she's making is that the human soul uh, doesn't have a gender. Right. That's very true. And, and um, also, when we look at uh, the Jung's work on the transference, and he talks about the heros gamos, again, it's this idea of an, an equal balance. So maybe we could say without gender, well, certainly Brahman if we, when we fold in yoga, Brahman is without gender. It's it's mm. neutral. Um, in Jungian psychology, I would say it's a blend of of, of masculine and feminine, mm -hmm. not necessarily without gender, but certainly an equal blend. Well, and and in fact, June Singer's term is hermaphroditic, which is is both genders, right? Mm -hmm. Inequality, right? Yeah. An equal balance. Mm -hmm. yeah. These days, we hear people talking about non-binary, like the idea that there are only two genders is already under uh, critical attack. Yeah, very much so. There's a, a lot more gender fluidity now in our day, certainly mm -hmm. than when Jung, you know, was teaching. And, and again, I do think we can find some gender essentialism in those teachings, and it's a lot more fluid now. But Jung himself, to me, was uh, such a pioneer as far as feminine consciousness, we could mm -hmm. say, um, in his work with matter and the feminine it was a big part of his work. Mm -hmm. Now, you've used a couple of terms already that I'd like to define for the benefit of our viewers. I think one was uh, hieros gamos. Yes, yes. Um, and again, that's the, 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 the dance of the masculine and feminine in balance, mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in psychic balance. It's, uh, it's a term that comes from alchemy. Mm-hmm. The marriage of the opposites. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because that, that's sort of an alchemy. The, the notion of alchemical perfection is, is the marriage of the opposites. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, in that marriage is about equality, equal mm -hmm. balance. Yep. Mm -hmm. And you also use the term I'm not familiar with 
gender essentialism. Yes, so, so that's basically you know men are males and、mm-hmm. uh, you know filled with let's just say masculine energy as opposed to this idea that the feminine and the masculine actually are energies that are running through us、mm-hmm. all. I hear people complain from time to time that men are becoming too soft. That uh, uh, we don't have manly men the way we used to have.、Uh, what do you think of that?、Um, again, that's it, it. Does sound uh, too? Uh, what do I want to say?、Uh, across the board to make statements like that because everybody is working to find these. Balances. So, to the degree that、uh, feminine consciousness in males is part of a transformation that we are going through,、um, it's not going to be balanced right away, and it's going to take people time to understand what their、uh, feminine nature is, their masculine nature is.、And、again, I want to emphasize that these are just frames, just ways to talk about it.、Um, Should never be held on to、um, and concretized because if if anything, again, this idea of fluidity is what we're what we're looking for.、Um, give and take, receptivity, spirit, matter, that everything is working in in equal balance.、Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Well, you refer to spirit matter. It's sort of a duality. Yes. Uh, and I think what you're getting at is、uh, that matter is feminine, like mother. Yes, that's right. Well, th- so the root of the word mat、mm-hmm. uh, is mother,、um, and we can say in depth psychology for sure that matter、um, is a metaphor for the goddess or feminine consciousness. And、um, again, through that lens of depth psychology, spirit would be the masculine principle impregnating the, the matter. That idea. So、mm-hmm. they, again, they're coming together in this、uh, this dance of opposites. And Jungian psychology or depth psychology always stays within that frame of opposition.、Um, For sure, later in life, through synchronicity, Jung was looking for that underlying. Unity in in principle,、um, but it isn't a psychology that,、uh, as of yet, has developed the voice of that unity、uh, with great clarity. Not like yoga has, because、mm-hmm. yoga starts with the unity. It starts with the wholeness. Jung was, you know, a product of、uh, European consciousness. Could we even say a patriarchal culture, and、uh, so very much enmeshed in Cartesian dualism. So that mind matter split was very real for him. Still very real for a lot of us、mm-hmm. in Euro-American、mm-hmm. culture. So Jung sort of views wholeness as, as a goal. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, wholeness isn't the underlying thing. We're working towards it, and、uh, ego consciousness is、uh, very important in that、uh, path of individuation, the path towards wholeness. So there's a it's it's a bit of a different frame than yoga psychology、mm-hmm. for sure.、Mm-hmm. You know, when I was、uh, very young, in my early twenties, let's say, I had this sense of uh, uh, men and women that、uh, as a male, I was very interested in intellectual ideas. You, people would often say, and and still do today, about men, they're in their head. <laughs> All the time, and women seem to be、uh, saying, "You know, get in touch with your body." 
Yeah, well, let's 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 change that again to the the masculine would be representative of the head and the feminine the body because you, there's many women out there or again like a, a female polarity envelope that actually runs a lot of conceptual, logical, rational thinking. So um, to make the broad statement again, I would keep it in the category of the masculine and the feminine and the feminine. Um, definitely has to do with embodiment, coming into the body, matter. Um, and depth psychology, I believe, has done its best and is continuing to do its best to um, bring matter into consciousness in a new way. Mm-hmm. In fact, the message is you must listen. You must listen to the body and its messages. And if we take an eco-psychological frame on that in Mother Earth, and what's happening uh, with possible echocide, um, you could say that that message is uh, coming in stereo at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's a case you must listen to, to, to matter and what, uh, what she, she is bringing forth. There does seem to be this sense in world mythology that the sky gods are masculine and the oh. earth goddesses are are feminine yes yeah and again i do think it's it's just a way to story it and frame it that's what we love to do we love our mythologies uh it's a great way to learn you know going back to yoga in india um their mythology is their epistemology it's their theories of knowledge in in you know storied form and i think you find that in the mythologies all around the world Mm -hmm. which is why young loved mythology mm-hmm. he loved how across cultures you could see the similarities in those stories mm-hmm. now i know in uh, a lot of hindu mythology you have the uh, duality of shiva and shakti yes masculine and, and feminine principles and i believe there are many images showing shiva is sort of asleep uh and, and shakti is standing over him and it's as if shiva is this powerful god the the great destroyer um but he's completely impotent without shakti yeah that's right those the feminine component in indian mythology and uh indian philosophy uh overall is really uh important and played up um, I believe you and I have spoken before of how Patanjali ends his sutras with Shakti, with mm-hmm. Chit Shakti, with the power of consciousness uh, in feminine gendered uh, terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very, very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's also a sense in, in which in yoga philosophy, uh, the feminine represents anything that's manifest at all. Yes. So, um, again, let's go back to Patanjali's metaphysics, uh, which come from Sankhya. It's a dualistic metaphysics. He speaks of Purusha and Prakriti, whereas pr- Purusha is a masculine-gendered term, Prakriti feminine. Purusha, pure consciousness. Prakriti, uh, Anything phenomenal. So um, that could be the subtlest realms, anything that you can sense, uh, any little flick of the mind, any emotion that bubbles up, all the way out to your gross, you know, the earth and all all forms of gross matter. Uh, and he uses a dance of the, those dualistic metaphysics in order to uh, lead his practitioners down the, the path of yoga. Mm-hmm. So... Purusha could be thought of then as uh, consciousness without an object. 
For sure. And, and, and the ultimate vision, again, because it's, it's already, uh, grounded in wholeness. So objectification becomes actually obsolete through the practice. That's the realization that, um, uh, Patanjali doesn't have a problem with material. He has a problem with materialism. So the objectification is seen to be if you will, the sore, the, um, the, the, the problem, the wound that is causing the disease, the discord, the dissonance that would bring one to yoga practice to begin with. And that, that process of objectification is, um, what Patanjali is encouraging people to heal. I, I see. Now, Jung doesn't have a concept of consciousness without an object, does he? No. That's where, um, Jung and Patanjali deviate, or one of the areas, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jung's consciousness is, um, related to an ego, always related to an ego, um, and therefore, mm-hmm. consciousness and its contents, it always has to do with some form of objectification. I mean, his was, the unconscious was an objective psyche to him. Mm-hmm. So, um, and again, he was aiming us towards wholeness. Mm-hmm. But he's just, he's so rooted in that Cartesian dualism, he sort of, trips back on himself, mm-hmm. even though he senses it, he sees it. Um, uh, he talks about emotions and, uh, and matter as, you know, instinctual and key components of that process towards wholeness. Um, what he misses is what Patanjali teaches, which is that it isn't unconscious at all at the level of reality. It's actually fully conscious. It knows exactly what it's doing, and knowledge is structured in it. So, um, Jung looks to uh, certainly heal this tension of opposites, but the psychology always remains within those opposites. I'm reminded of, I think it was Rudyard Kipling who wrote, uh, East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> I mean, there's a duality, you know, which also has a masculine and, and feminine component, wouldn't you say? The duality between the East and the West? Yes. Yes, you can, you can see it that way. Uh, again, looking from mind to matter, if the West uh, and its philosophies are going to remain in objective knowing and representational metaphysics, it forever is going to remain in the split. Um, I don't see Indian philosophy in any way as split. Now, their culture may act out splits, mm-hmm. but the, the underbelly, the underlying philosophy itself, what the Rishis taught in the Upanishads, what Patanjali taught in his sutras, um, I, I don't see a split there at mm-hmm. all. I see a very beautiful, grounded, completely logically consistent philosophy and psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, if, if Judaism is emblematic of Western religions, uh, it's very dualistic. It, there's a big emphasis on life and death and on good and evil. And uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil be, is, is sort of foundational to uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, 
it, it's as if, if, if uh, it might be proper, do you think, to say that the very notion of dualism is more masculine than feminine? I think so, actually. Again, talking about the principles, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that logos, um, or let's say the masculine has the propensity, perhaps, uh, to, to, to split off more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jung, of course, he was Swiss Reformed Church Protestant, so he grew up in that Christian lineage. And um, for him, the problem of the feminine, of, of matter... Uh, was part of what he sought through his psychology to try to find answers to. Mm-hmm. So, still of that Abrahamic uh, yeah. lineage. Now, in recent years, quite a bit has been revealed about Jung's personal life. Yes. And uh, it does strike me that uh, th- that lifestyle of Jung, who had apparently more than one mistress in addition to uh, having a um, a very long relationship with his wife, uh, it, it seemed typical of European males of, of high status, social status in that era. Yes, I, I don't really know much about the history of that era. Um, the thing that I would add about uh, Jung's experience with his wife and, and his female colleagues and clients, um, you don't see a lot of it in his autobiography. He doesn't necessarily fold in how important... Um, Emma gets folded in certainly a little bit more than, than Tony Wolf, who's one of his colleagues, and Sabina Spielrein. Actually, they were both, I guess you could say, client colleagues. Um, Emma being his wife. Emma being his wife, who, yes. Who is also, if, if I recall, be, became an analyst. Yes, absolutely, and an author. She's mm-hmm. published her own works as well. And, yeah. and uh, uh, Tony Wolf was a, a colleague yes. uh, who was an analyst. Yes. Uh, who. Uh, was a, um, I guess it would be fair to say, was his mistress. Well, the, right, exactly. And, and, and Sabina Spielrein, who was his client first, but again, she went on to become an analyst and mm-hmm. publish her own works as well. I mean, these are all successful women in, in their own right, for sure. Mm-hmm. Those relationships were clearly very essential to what he developed in the psychology that he developed. Um, so I, as a woman, do wish that we had a little bit more on that history from Jung mm-hmm. himself. Um, but also I think you can see polyamory has become really popular now in our time. Very, mm-hmm. very popular. And so he was, again, a pioneer in many ways. And uh, his need to... Um, not stay within the confines of the sacrament of marriage, so to speak, and to uh, go his own way and, and fulfill his own needs, which Emma agreed to. And she knew farewell that, um, prob- I don't know about Sabrina as much as Tony, but really helped him uh, to formulate his psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, it strikes me that what's operating here is something very instinctive. If we look at other primates, it's not uncommon for an alpha male to have several females. Right. That is, that is true. That is true. I mean, marriage is a sacrament that I, I... Actually, I don't even know the history of that, but let's just say it's a social construct. Mm-hmm. It isn't necessarily of the animal body as much as a, a particular culture. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, perhaps it was necessary at, at some point 
to devise the culture that way, but as any cultural construct, there's going to be people who rub up against it, and it's yeah. not going to serve. Well, there, I suppose uh, it's very natural. Uh, Freud wrote about it in Civilization and its discontents that there's a tension between the social constructs of civilization that uh, appear to be necessary in order to have peace and order in, in society and our instinctive nature. Right. And as the both Freudian psychology develops and also Jungian depth psychology, um, re- recently in my own work, I've been uh, folding in the results of affective neuroscience because mm-hmm. that's looking at the instinctive level of the brain mm-hmm. that's showing that emotions are hardwired into the brain uh, somehow. Uh, and again, from the uh, point of view of a yoga psychology or a holistic view, it would be obvious that these things, there's a confluence, that everything's going to rise together. So if, if the brain has, let's just say, uh, evolutionary layers, so you have the prime, primary layer, the secondary, and the tertiary layer, that once you're in the tertiary layer where you're constructing culture, um, that primary layer and that tertiary layer depending upon how they move through that secondary layer, are going to clash mm-hmm. because it's how you know the world. And if you're knowing the world only through cultural construct and not as an embodied knowing, embodied being in touch with your own emotions and instincts, now you're talking about a sick animal. Some people would say that that's a definition right there of the human condition. Certainly. And, and I'm going to own it for my own culture. For Certainly, I, I don't feel like I can speak for all cultures, but for um, Euro-American culture, actually, absolutely. Cause, uh, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, the idea that the human being is fundamentally flawed uh, is implicit in in yoga. That's that's why people do yoga, uh, in a sense. Uh, You described earlier the need for yoga has to do with this disconnection, and the need for psychotherapy is also about some neurosis. I think Freud used the term normal neurosis. I'm gonna, I would reframe that. I would say that, um, that the human is fundamentally flawed in the Judeo-Christian lens, certainly in the Christian Catholic lens. There's, there's definitely fundamental flaws there. Actually, yoga is embedded in this idea, actually, that Brahman equals Atman, or Atman equals Brahman. Therefore, um, and Brahman being the absolute, pure consciousness, um, eternal, self-knowing, uh, singular, and we're that. So that wholeness is the real, is the yeah. very being. Mm-hmm. And the flaw, again, will come about from the cultural level, or something will, something splits the mind from the body me from you, us from them, one culture from another mm-hmm. culture, me from the earth. Uh, but I wouldn't say that yoga would teach that we're fundamentally flawed, but they are teaching people who are suffering from flaws. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's so logically consistent and it works so beautifully because it works not from the flawed place, but from the place of clarity. I mean, you certainly have in Asian traditions the idea that uh some people, at least, are born enlightened. Yes, absolutely. I don't think you find that in uh, depth psychology. No, no, no. 
that is definitely what, again, that path towards wholeness, that enlightenment is something that we gain through the ego, mm-hmm. right? That consciousness is, and that's the, mm, the area that we want to be very careful. Certainly in, in depth psychological teachings or for any of us working in the field who want to compare mm-hmm. the Eastern traditions with the Western traditions and carry on Jung's work mm-hmm. of merging East and West. Uh, you know, Jung said, how did he say it? Uh, uh, the invasion of the East was violence on such a grand scale that we have the obligation to learn about the mind of the East. Um, but we have to learn it on its own terms. And what we do in our science and our philosophy, it's, it's so much about accumulating knowledge. And again, it's about that tertiary process of constructing it. And yoga is saying, wait a minute. Yes, you can do that, but you have to be very careful because the moment, and I always use this sort of as, as a gimmick, the moment the mind moves and it wants to create its stories and it's not rooted any longer in that field of pure consciousness, now you've lost your roots. <laughs> whether it be in the instinctual aspect of the brain or your feet in Tadasana mountain pose on the earth. You have to be very careful not to lose those roots. And we don't, we don't have roots anywhere near like that in the Western canon. I didn't mention in introducing you that you teach yoga teachers about yoga philosophy. Uh, I want to come back. You used a, a term from yoga, sadasana, mountain pose. Tadasana, yes. Tadasana, yeah. It's a very common pose at the very beginning of one's practice to stand mm-hmm. all four con- corners of the feet, um, just really anchoring into the earth and, and the body so that, if you will, that vertical axis between your your top chakra and your bottom chakra or between um, the top of your, your head and the bottom of your feet that mm-hmm. uh, you are energized along that vertical axis, mountain pose. Mm-hmm. And, and that implies sort of a, the unity of matter and spirit? Well, actually, all the poses do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in yoga, the, the asana is actually a metaphor for the psychology and the philosophy. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're balancing, um, right, left, in, out, up, down. The poses are just me- metaphor. And of course, in the West, we are big fans of the poses. Yeah. Um, but as you do the poses, it's opening up the nadis, the channels, the energy centers. And little by little, um, I have no doubt that that psychology and philosophy will become more important, uh, as we continue to import yoga, because the last two decades, uh, yoga and Buddhism have blown up in Western culture. Well, it strikes me that one of the key issues in terms of the fusion of East and West is this notion of pure consciousness that uh, seems central, fundamental, basic to uh, yoga philosophy and uh, almost entirely missing from at least the um, foundational uh, thinkers of uh, depth psychology. Yes, it, it is. And that's where uh, my body of work, where I've aimed it, is yeah. just to place pure consciousness back into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you, if you, um, how do I want to tell this? Um, if, if you, if you continue to appropriate or take ownership of consciousness through an egoic construct, that field has no alternative but to keep falling back into what Jung termed the unconscious. You see, and Jung also said, uh, 
the unconscious shows you the face that you turn to it. So, of course, if you turn to it and, and say, well, you're unconscious, that's what's going to keep being showed back to you. Mm. But the whole body of work in and of itself, actually, you can see um, through even Freud's work on affect and um, showing that where affect had gotten ar- along the wrong lines, that it was leading some sort of parasitic existence in the psyche, but also causing symptoms in the body. Right from its inception, depth psychology has been showing that the mind and matter aren't two things, that they are absolutely one. So in the big picture, for the overarching psychology, why do you want to put matter in the unconscious ontically? Epistemically, as a teaching tool to create two categories, fine. I mean, that's what Patanjali did too. But his dualistic metaphysics were falsifiable. Mm-hmm. We don't have that set up in depth psychology, mm-hmm. even though I think when you look at the evidence, it's proving over and over again that that, that what we're actually doing is bring, bringing matter into the field of consciousness. Now, you've used a couple of technical terms, uh, I think, that are common in philosophy, ontic and epistemic. Could, can you differentiate those? Sure. So, ontic would be your theories of being, and epistemic is your theories of knowledge. And um, Jung uh, always... Uh, held steadfast that he wasn't a metaphysician. So he was in the realm of epistemology or um, empiric science, subje- again, subject-object knowing, uh, creating theories of knowledge, if you will. But that's where his psychology weakens because he doesn't actually stand in the metaphysics that he clearly has. So even though all of we could say, I think, right? All of orthodox Western science claims that you don't need to claim a metaphysics, that they don't, but it's really there anyway. The mm-hmm. fact that, that, that you're seeing reality as a duality, that you can split the subject from the object, is claiming a metaphysics. Well, and, and that metaphysics is typically materialism. That's right. Materialist, and materialistic monism, absolutely. And, now, if we fold that back into that was part of where Jung uh, saw the problem very clearly, um, where, again, this idea of the feminine or nature or matter, uh, he had a very, I want to say, romantic vision in, in some sense, but he, he, he could see that that materialism was causing a crisis, was causing a problem, and I think we could say it's gotten worse from Jung's day until today. And to the degree that we don't have the holistic view, that we continue to split the mind from the body. Oh, let's see if I can articulate this. Reality is whole. So mm-hmm. this ontic reality in Patanjali's teaching is pure consciousness. Mm-hmm. It's whole. If we're going to divide it as a species... We can only be doing it through concept. It's an indivisible unity in its being. You see what I mean? In its isness, it's indivisible. So if as a species we're going to, through our mind, divide it, well, of course we're throwing some... You can't get rid of what you're turning away from. So if you want to hold on to materialism in a way that 
splits it again off from its basis in pure consciousness is to the exact way that pure consciousness is going to hit us in the behind, mm -hmm. if you will. So you can split the atom, sure. It's splittable. You can create the nuclear bomb. But then if you create a culture that puts a sociopath in office who actually detonates that bomb, now you've killed yourself off. How smart were you? You see where I'm going with that? Well, in a philosophical sense, it seems that uh, in Western science and Western philosophy now for quite some time, we've had the, the mind-body problem, or sometimes it's called the hard problem of consciousness, which is how is it that dead matter can produce consciousness right. and life? And uh, maybe the problem is in the very assumption that materialism uh, necessitates dead matter to begin with. Yes, I and I wholeheartedly agree with that. I often uh, teach, you know, we're here on a rock, traveling around the sun in a galaxy, to pretend that we are the carriers of consciousness. We're not here without the rock. We're not here without the sun bringing food to the phytoplankton and on and on and on and on and on. So for us, again, that taking the ownership of consciousness in the species um, is, is stealing, if you will, and creating a loss of vision so we don't see consciousness as the totality as the reality of, of being. You see what I mean? Well, it strikes me that it's sort of akin to the denial of the goddess yes. in Western culture. Yes. God is always masculine. In Eastern culture, uh, they don't seem to have that problem. Right. And again, I think that's why it's a beautiful frame to use the masculine and energy to even have this conversation. No, they don't. Well, they certainly don't have it have it in India at all, because, again, they're grounded in this philosophy that consciousness is the reality of being. Yeah. And um, at every turn, I think you can see that Jung was seeking to discover that same truth, but he stayed um, rooted in the culture of his time, which was this dualistic, um, or this objective way of knowing, using this... Uh, representational metaphysics of a conscious unconscious and so he 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 didn't get there mm -hmm. well he wrote a book um, that i've often enjoyed called modern man in search of a soul and, and it seems that in a way what he's expressing is the search for the feminine within western culture yes that's right uh the term anima mundi um the world soul that's a that's a that's a feminine term for young and in depth psychology so again it has a very feminine frame to it it's this um if you will i i, I think we could it would be fair enough to say it's this longing it's this longing for the um merging in the marriage mm -hmm. of the masculine and feminine in a way that um as rightly as it should be, is healing. Mm -hmm. Well, and it does seem to me that uh, uh, one of the issues that uh, males are particularly faced with is this longing for the feminine and and uh, the idea that oh, there aren't enough women to go around or some men are simply so unattractive they're never going to find a woman uh, I had one of our viewers uh, recently uh, 
complain that the it, it seemed um, the, that one of the fundamental problems that men have is uh, being able to have a, a satisfactory relationship with a woman. Yes, I, I do know that there that is. Uh, I don't want to say a struggle mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but again, what, what Jungian psychology in, in particular is pointing towards is that turn towards one's own, I'm going to say inner feminine in the sense of the unconscious, that receptivity, the chalice is often used as a symbol. Uh, Marion Woodman, who did a beautiful body of work, uh, post young, um, unconscious femininity, um, she speaks of it in terms of essence, and in the root of essence, the Latin root, E-S-S-E, has to do with to be, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and she, and, and, um, there's many other women who have, yeah. ha- who have gone, pioneered Jung's work into mm-hmm. the feminine, um, but it's this idea of the virgin, but she's an initiated virgin. So it's almost the maiden mother crone, you know, mythological, tropes, if you will, um, that that uh, all work together to say she's in- initiated, but she's open, receptive, available. Mm-hmm. And, um, and th- again, that's in the masculine, in males as well as females. So what men want to do, just like women, is turn towards that voice. What are your needs? What are you feeling? Get in touch with that instinctive, intuitive knowing. And from that inner marriage, the external world has no alternative but to show up differently. Doesn't Jung also place quite a bit of emphasis on the archetype of the devouring mother? Yes, so that also plays to perhaps plays to your point earlier about the 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 splits um because in some sense you want to have balanced energy even in your approach. Where I go with that is like depression, right? Going under when that energy in, in, in yoga psychology would be tamasic, when that energy of inertia is so strong, mm-hmm. uh, it, it can take you under mm-hmm. for sure. And, and there's a sense in which many men, of course, we grow up as young boys sort of under the dominance of our mothers, uh, that there's a fear of the feminine. Yes, Um now, whether that's cultural or not, I'm not so sure I could say. I doubt, I, I, my, my guess would be in India that that fear would not be as strong. Um, but for anyone who has devised, uh, I want to say any kind of strong identity, mm-hmm. I am my business card or again, identi- identifying too strongly with one's gender, one's polarity mm-hmm. envelope as a child of this person, mm-hmm. any kind of the, those identities in order to open up into this essence mm-hmm. in this, uh, this knowing that's inherent in our whole being, all those identities have to go away because they're actually blocking, uh, pure consciousness ability mm-hmm. to, to reach, um, that reflective aspect of the mind. You you also have, I think, in Eastern culture, these images of Kali, for example, and right. Durga, the devouring evil mother is viewed as sacred. 
That's right. And also, uh, life giving. She's, she is, um, sort of death in the service of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kali, you know, those images of her, and they are quite fierce. Um, uh, she, you know, she's cutting off people's heads symbolically as, uh, you know, egoic death. Mm-hmm. But it's all in service of life because that ego could be nothing but a box or a bind to a greater totality that's underneath. And that's the invitation of feminine consciousness. Get out of the bind. Get out of the construct. There's something so much bigger here. And again, this is what Patanjali is pointing towards. Uh, a, a way for us as a species to stand in our body in a way that is so much more full than these egoic binds that we have, at least in the West, come to uh, have lived as almost ultimate truth. Or <laughs> Well, Dr. Leanne Whitney, this has been a delightful conversation. I'm looking forward to more conversations with you while you're here in Albuquerque. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much, Jeff. Appreciate it. And thank you for being with us. 